0: So it's my favorite time again. How many of you know what my favorite time is? (laughs) Emily knows. Uh, Time to talk about money. How many of you feel like, if you've been around Tapestry very long, that we just had a series not very long ago called Money Matters? Does anybody feel like we just said that? Yeah, A, that was two years ago. If you can believe that, that was two years ago. And B, um, I, I wanted Brad to put Money Matters 2020 on it so it would differentiate. You know that you're not getting ready to sit through the exact same thing. Um, he did not care for how that looked on the graphic, um, so he said no. And um, you know, and so uh, I, we went with that. Um, but here it is again. We're doing this. Um, and and have you ever wondered? If your money could talk, what it is that your money would say? <laughs> and you are, <laughs> and you're all like, well, of course I've never wondered that, Andy, because I'm a normal person that doesn't need help for weird thoughts. Um, yeah, um, but you know, but already just bringing that question up. Some of you may be um, thinking, well, okay, I know what this is getting ready to be, and I wish I hadn't come this morning. (laughs) Anybody, let's be honest, moment of honesty, like, yeah, I wish I hadn't come. Yeah, yeah. um, Man, I really thought most of you weren't. When we came up on stage to start worship, like, it was Thelma. (laughs) Like, I'm like, man, like, did, you know, I thought, I thought Jalen is pretty good worship leader. I don't know if they got, word got out he was back or what, but... um, no, I, um, the, thank you, Jalen, for uh, helping us um, with worship this morning. Um, yeah, but, but some of you, um, you know, you think maybe I wasn't here. Some of you, may, maybe this question uh, can start to get you thinking about what your money would say if it could talk. And perhaps for some of you, <laughs> your specific monies, um, what it might say um, might not be too pleasant. And maybe for some of us, what our money might say, especially if other people could hear it, um, might be a little embarrassing. But the thing that might shock some of us um, is that a parallel that exists between what your money would probably say and what Jesus did say when he was talking about money. Now, for some of you, you're like, man, I know you say it was two years ago, but it feels like we just talked about money. Did you know that Jesus, depending on the way that you count it, Jesus had between 36 and 38 parables in the gospel. And of those, 16 of them dealt with money and possessions. Did you know that? 16 out of 38. Now, I do approximately 46 sermons a year And I don't do 16 sermons on money. So if you're like, ah, we're talking about money again, eh? maybe just think about the fact that maybe you would not have liked Jesus' church if he had one. Just throwing that out there if you're feeling a little about it. Um, But the thing that may be a shock to us especially with the way that preachers have handled themselves and churches have handled themselves with this topic, is that with all of that high percentage of time that Jesus spent in his teachings about money, um, he never asked for any. Now, there's one parable that he borrowed some money, a coin from somebody to use as a prop to make a point, but from everything we can tell from the way that goes, that got returned when it was done. And and so what was that about? If Jesus is spending all this time talking about money and he's not asking for any money, what's it about? And what we discover in the gospels is that Jesus was up to something and not just up to something, but after something, when it came to this idea of talking about money. And, but what he was after was not their actual money. So let's jump in. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to see what are some things that your money might say if it could talk. Here's something that I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody's money would say. I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. Money doesn't get much play at funerals. People at funerals don't sit and talk about how much money the person that passed away had. Uh, Other than maybe, maybe it might be brought up if it's in relation to how generous they were with it, how they used it to help advance others. But money is a, a much better means than it is an end. Right, it's a means that can help you, that can be a tool that works towards an end. But if you in fact make money the end, what'll happen is you'll end up alone. I know people who are consumed with the number at the bottom of their bank account. I mean consumed. Everything they do is driven by that number and they compare other people's numbers to their number. And even when they don't know other people's numbers, they take a measure of the people, how the people handle themselves around them, and they make assumptions about their number, and they feel good about themselves or less than about themselves based on their number. And the people that I know that are like that are fairly lonely people, are fairly isolated people. But using money, not having money, using money to an end is what makes money meaningful. In fact, being in a means to an end, being a means is what makes something meaningful. That's where it comes from. Like it's in there. That's what meaning actually means. And so if you want to live a meaningful life, you need to figure out how to be a mean to an end that isn't you. You need to figure out a way to make your life a tool to be leveraging towards something that's not you, right? And that's difficult for us. But when you decide to do that, your money as well will become a means, not an end. And you'll begin to view all of your money as a resource or a tool. Unsurprisingly, Jesus said something just like this in one of his parables. Um, Luke, who was a first century doctor that after Jesus had resurrected, there was just so much um, chatter and storytelling going on around it that he dedicated himself to interviewing as many people who had first-hand experience with Jesus as possible so that he could write an orderly account of what happened. And, and eventually what he wrote became so valuable within the church that they meticulously copied it and distributed it. And those copies eventually became a part of the New Testament, which is a part of our Bible. And, and he writes about, Luke writes about several of Jesus' parables. And, and this, is, this is one that he was big on. And it deals with money. So Luke, Luke chapter 16, verse one, he says this, and Jesus told his disciples. And when he says disciples there, that's not the 12 Those are referred to more as the apostles, but disciples were the people who followed him around on a regular basis. Um, And there was probably about a hundred people who fell into that disciples category. So he's got his main group sitting around him and he's talking to him. He told his disciples, there was a rich man And everybody listening, and it wasn't just his disciples, there was extra people around the edges of the crowd listening. Everybody knew as soon as he started into, there was a rich man. They knew that this was one of those stories that Jesus made up and told in order to prove a point. Um, The people around the edge may have been very interested as soon as he started, and be like, oh, he's telling a story, what's this gonna be about? His disciples who were with him always heard him start this and probably were like, oh No ah, here's another one of those stories. We're gonna not know what it means. We're gonna be confused by the end. Hopefully he doesn't call on us so that we get embarrassed for the wrong answer and it gets recorded into the pages of history for everyone for thousands and thousands of years to look down upon us. (laughs) And so he starts starts this story to make a point. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so this was a guy who had so much money, had so much wealth that he couldn't manage it all by himself. It would have consumed all of his time. So he hires somebody and he puts them in charge of his wealth, right? And we can all relate to that, right? I mean, we've all got somebody to manage our wealth, right? (laughs) Because we have so much. No, no, is it just me? Yeah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so here he is. But this guy that he hired could buy on behalf of the master, could sell, could represent him in deals. I mean, he had a lot of power. And this manager catches wind, or or the master catches wind that this manager is doing some things that really aren't in the master's benefit in his best interest. There's some shortcuts being taken. There's some things being done. And and he's not really happy about this shady stuff that this manager is doing. So what's he gonna do? Verse two, so he calls him in and he asks him, what is this that I hear about you? Now, I remember when I got in trouble as a kid a lot, my parents would kind of do this thing and it didn't take very long for me to catch on. And my parents, when I was young, my parents would call me and they'd be, Andy, is there something you need to tell me? And when I was a kid, I immediately was like, oh no, I'm caught. And I would start spilling my guts with all of the things that I, you know, I did this, I did this, I'm sorry, I knew I shouldn't have. It didn't take me very long to figure out that they, they were just throwing it out there. <laughs> Just see if there was something I would confess to that they could, you know, set me straight on. And so, and so it didn't take long to where when somebody, any authority figure at all, would be like, what is this that I'm hearing about you? And my response is, I don't know. What have you heard about me? <laughs> Let's make sure that we're on the same page here as what we're talking about. And so um, I would say that's the response that this guy had in his head, um, but it's a made up story. The guy didn't exist, so he had no response in his head. But the manager called him, and, or the master called him and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. In other words, get the books together, show me what you've done, and explain yourself. Because you cannot be manager any longer. So essentially what he's saying to him is, look, you're fired, but before you go, I need you to get everything together and settle accounts so that I can take this over and then hand it off to the next person that's happening. So then Jesus keeps going with this made up story that he has. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Anybody ever been in a what shall I do now situation? Not necessarily that you were doing something wrong, but lost a job, had something come up that all of a sudden the circumstances around you change and your response is, what am I supposed to do? Where do I go from here? This was what this guy was experiencing because he wasn't expecting to get caught. He says, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. And then Jesus lays out the prospects of what this guy runs through in his head. He says, I am not strong enough to dig. I'm an inside guy. I'm I'm not an outside guy. I'm soft. And I'm ashamed to beg. Apparently there were only two options. (laughs) Dig or beg. You, You take your, but suddenly he's trying to figure out what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna go? Where am I gonna sleep? Like, is anybody gonna take me in? And then he thinks about it for a minute and he realizes, wait, I've got an opportunity. I've been given an opportunity. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he comes up with this plan. I am going to gain favor with the people around me so that as soon as I'm fired and let go, I'm not gonna be sleeping in the street begging. People are going to welcome me into, my, into their house and take care of me. Here's what he did. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And as far as people who had wealth and a lot of possessions back then, um, they had a lot of debtors. But we just, Jesus just talks about two in this situation. He, he asks the first, how much money do you owe my master? The guy replies, 900 gallons of olive oil. As I was reading this, I'm like, my gosh, that's a lot of olive oil. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what was going on here, um, but that's a lot of olive oil to owe somebody. But apparently it must've been pretty common back in that time. Cause Jesus was making up the story. Gave this example to all the people listening. 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly. Now, why would he say quickly? Quickly before anybody sees, quickly before anybody finds out, quickly before the master catches on and We get in trouble quickly before I'm out of here because I don't have much time. I'm being fired and I need to make sure that I take advantage of the time that has been given me to ensure that I have somewhere to go. He says, sit down quickly and make it 450, (laughs) right? I'm sure that in the audience that Jesus was talking to, there was mixed reaction to this, right? I'm sure as maybe might be the case here, anybody in the audience who owed was probably like, oh man, that's a sweet deal, right? Like I owed 900 and all of a sudden it gets cut down to 450, cut in half. Wow, how many of you would like that deal? How many of you would like to get a call from your credit card company? Hey, we've noticed that your balance is growing quite high. Let me let you in on something. I'm getting fired this afternoon. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna cut your balance in half. How many of you would like to receive that phone call? Yeah, I would, right? Let's cut it in half before I leave. Now, the flip side of that is everybody who was in the crowd that maybe had money and was on the lending side of that, they were probably like, what? What a crook. What a dishonest, no good, lying, cheating. No wonder he's being fired right? And the guy that owed the 900, like they got cut down to 450, was probably like, wow, thank you so much for this generosity. If you ever need anything, call me. And the guy's like, "Yeah, I might just do that. I might just look you up, right? So then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat he replies. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. So then I'm stopping and I'm pausing for a minute as I'm reading through this. And I'm like, man, if I was the wheat guy and I was standing there listening to that and the oil guy just got his cut in half and mine only gets 20%, I might be like, what gives man? what, What are you like this guy better? maybe that's what wheat guy was thinking, except for (laughs) wheat guy's not real. So (laughs) so he says, wow, thank you so much for cutting my bill down, right? If there's ever anything I can do for you, just let me know. And the manager is probably like, yeah, don't you worry. You're going to be hearing from me sooner than you think. And the implication of the story is that this guy went down and in every account that his, man, that his master had of people that owed him, he went through and he cut what people owed because he wanted to build goodwill to as many people as he could so that when he lost his job, he had somewhere to go. Now, in this parable, the master finds out what he's doing, right? Right? And all of the people listening, when the master finds out, it's probably like, oh, that's the end of this guy. Like that master's gonna be furious with the amount of money that has cost him. Like this, surely the master's gonna have him put to death. But Jesus being an incredible storyteller, knowing how to pull people in, forcing them to lean in and play this close attention because he knew that, that he could keep them just confused enough Right, that they've got to pay really close attention and figuring out what's going on in the story. And if ever you're sitting through one of my sermons and you're confused because I'm not making any sense, we'll just say I'm doing it on purpose so I make you (laughs) pay attention, right? But Jesus was really good at it. And as he's telling this story, the people listening, especially the people who had been around him and knew kind of the pattern of his stories, knew that in every parable that Jesus told, that there's a figure or a person in the story that represents God. And there's a person in the story that represents the listener. And so the people were listening, that were listening and maybe, you know, maybe you as well as you're listening, you're trying to figure out like, okay, who's God? Who's me? All right. But we do know that that is in big trouble because he's been caught now, giving away most of his master's money. But the master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. (laughs) And if you're like, oh, well, I wasn't confused up to that point, but what gives, right? Like everything in the scripture is like, oh, honesty and integrity. And these are the things we're going through. And now Jesus is telling this made up story where the guy like that's being dishonest and shrewd and taking money from his master to get his own favor. All of a sudden, now the master's like, oh, good job, right? But see, this guy had thought through the situation and as he had been thinking through his current situation, he was thinking about it with the end in mind. He looked at the limited amount of time that he had left with his job. He looked at the limited amount of opportunity that he still had. And he took those things and he thought through both of those things as to how can I best leverage those things with my future or what I want down the road in mind. Right? And Jesus' audi- audience was completely confused. They're like, wait, 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 wait. The manager should have been in trouble, right? And he's being commended? What is happening? But Jesus had them exactly where he wanted them within this story. And then what he does is he kind of pulls out of the narrative of this made up story. And he begins to teach the way that God views money and possessions is different than the way that they viewed money and possessions. And essentially he pulls out of the narrative and gives them the meaning of the parable that he's telling. Here's what he says. He says, for the people of this world, that is the people who live their life as if all there is, is this life. It's the people who they view their life as there's a birth certificate and there's a death certificate and there is what's in between and that's it that what you see is what you get. That's who he's referring to. And he says, the people of this world. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd. That is, they're more thoughtful. They think through things a whole lot more. They are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And given his audience and who he was talking to, his reference to people of light was the Jewish people who had an eternal promise through God. And essentially he's saying this, he's saying, listen, the people who have a covenant with God don't think things through as much as the people who don't, as the people who don't even acknowledge God. And this is, this is expanded further on later on down the road to encompass all people who put their faith in Jesus. We don't put as much care and thought into things as do the people who see nothing but this world. And Jesus' point is this, is that the guy wasn't being commended. The the, the manager wasn't being commended for being dishonest. That's not what it was. He was commended for taking advantage of what little time and opportunity and resources that he had. And Jesus is saying, when, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our resources, we are to do the same. We are to view our money and we're to view our resources within the broader context of our faith, right? And we are to ask the question, what am I to do within the context of my faith, within the context of who I've put my trust in, of who I follow, within all of that, what am I to do with my little bit of time and my little bit of resources? Jesus says, you're to do the same as this man. And then just so we don't miss it, Jesus gets very, very specific. And he gives a command to all of those who call themselves followers. Verse nine, he says, I tell you, use, use. In other words, it's a tool. It's a means to an end, something to be used. Use worldly wealth, which you read that and you might be like, well, worldly wealth, like what other kind of wealth is there? (laughs) To which I would say, good question. You're paying attention. If you had that question, you get an extra gold star today. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I'm going to admit something and you won't hear very many preachers admit this. I can't really explain this. (laughs) I just can't. In fact, in the isolated teachings of Jesus at this point of his life and ministry, this doesn't really make sense. But the implication of what he's saying here, the implications are unmissable. He's literally saying, there is something that we can do with the little bit of wealth that we have in this life on this planet, there is something we can do with it that makes an eternal difference. There's something we can do with it that has a, 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 an eternal impact. And honestly, I would read something like this, I would come across this idea of like, okay, something you can do on your, with your money on earth, the way you handle it, has an eternal everlasting impact on whatever. I would look at something like that and I would normally just dismiss it because it's a really crazy idea. But the thing that makes me take this serious is the fact that Jesus showed up back on the scene after his death. And if there is anyone who can predict their own resurrection, when they then say something about eternity, even if I don't understand it and can't explain it, I'm going to take it serious. And you should take it serious. So Luke is writing this and he's writing this. Don't forget, he's writing it from the other side of the resurrection. He's writing this having talked to the people who were directly firsthand involved with Jesus and lived through it. And so there would be an extra weight to anything that Jesus is saying that these people are saying, here was was what he taught, here was what he said. Anything that has to do with eternity carried an extra weight because of what they all had just witnessed. And so I imagine this stood out to him. And Jesus' point is clear, is that money is a means to an end. It is not the end. Money is a means to an end. It goes beyond us. It goes beyond this life. And our right now resources, what we have within our life right now, have the ability to make a forever difference. And we cannot take it with us, but there is a way that we can have something to show for it. Now, if Jesus is right, which I'm inclined to think that he is, it means that we should view not a percentage of what we have as available to God. Because a lot of us who grew up in church were like percentage, right? I get my money. And 10%, that's the number that, that is out there most often, 10%, that's God's, and then the rest is mine. But if what Jesus is saying is right, that's a wrong viewpoint. Not a percentage should be available to God. All of it should be available to God. In other words, we, the question we as followers of Jesus should be asking is this is how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is not me? How can I leverage the things that I have as a means to an end that is not me? In other words, how can I benefit others with what I have? And here, here's, here's what I know and what some of you know is that when you use your resources to benefit others, that is where joy comes. Is found. It is, which is why you should choose what percentage of your income you're going to live on. And when I say choose, I mean, do it on purpose because listen, you're going to live on a percentage of your income. It's just how the world works. For some of you, that percentage that you're living on is 100%. For some of you, that percentage you're living on is 120% right? But for shrewd thinkers, they don't let their lifestyle dictate that number. Like for so many of us that don't even think about it, like we just, okay, I'm living life. Here's money. Here's what I got to do. We don't think about it. We let our lifestyle dictate what our money is doing. But those who are shrewd don't do that. And they base it on percentage, not dollar amount. And this is really very difficult because our nature within us is to use everything that we have on ourselves. But joy is found in the percentage that you use on something other than yourself. And the stories that come from using your resources on others. Those are things that will be with you forever. Your money and your resources will not be with you forever. But the stories that come out of the joy that is created when you use it on others, those are with you forever. So here's what, here's what I know about you. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about you. But here's what I know about you, is that you have several things that you factor into your financial decision-making. So I encourage you to ask this question. When you're factoring the expenditure of your money Here's this question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? If you want to figure out where to start moving forward on this idea, start with that question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? And let me give you a tip. When you're gone, no one will talk about your stuff. But they will tell stories about you. And What kind of stories they tell. They depend on this very issue. And listen, for those of you who are part of this church, for those of you who have given to to tapestry over over the years, there are things that have happened that are a part of your story. There, There are single mothers in this city who have been given hope because of resources that you have given. There are families that are together because of resources that you've given. There are people who have not gone hungry. There are children who are able to attend school. There are people who have had medical care paid for that they would not have been able to afford on their own. There are people who have been able to travel to funerals of loved ones that they would have otherwise missed had you not given to the church and these are all parts of your story if you've been given to us over the years. And what would have been done with that money had you decided to just keep it? Some extra Frosties with your meal combo at Wendy's, right? Another shirt, Andy, what's wrong with Frosties in a shirt? There's nothing wrong with Frosties in a shirt. I'm very pro shirt, you should have shirts but the dollars spent on those things do not have near the value of the dollars spent on things other than yourself. The return on those investments don't even compare. Stuff, stuff doesn't compare to stories. Jesus keeps going. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And people are like thinking, wait, 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 Jesus, what are you talking about here? He keeps going, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And he draws a line between world wealth and actual wealth. And listen, no matter how much you have and no matter where you think it came from, Your money is a test. It's a test. You've been given a little bit of time and you've been given a little bit of resources and you are being tested as to who or which kingdom you are devoted to. The kingdom of this world or the kingdom that goes beyond the bookends of our lives. But Jesus isn't done. You're like, oh man, can it be done? No, he's not done. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property and you're like, well, I thought we were just talking about it. Now we're getting property? What do you mean somebody else's property? And Andy, I know you're talking about my stuff when you're saying like, I'm the one that bought this car. I have the deed to the house. I earned the paycheck. Like, what are we talking? But Jesus says, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And at this point, you might just be like, okay, you've lost me. Other people's property, my property. Like this just isn't, I mean, I don't know what the people Jesus was telling this story was used to, but you've kind of just lost me. But listen, if your money could talk, I think it would say this. I think it would say, I will still be here when you're gone. And the moment that you think you own me is when I own you. Because we are all, in fact, managers, not owners, of the resources that we have. But here's the real question. If you're just a manager, not an owner, who are you managing it for? Who are you managing it for? Because if we are indeed created in the image of God, and each of us are given this amount of time and this amount of resources then all of this that Jesus is saying makes absolute perfect sense. Don't get confused as to what money is. Money is a means to an end. It can add meaning to life, but it is not the meaning of life. It is a tool to be leveraged. So so here's the question. What do we do with this? Where Where do we start? Where do we go from here as we... Start this series. And for those of you who are suspicious that maybe I'm just another preacher after your money. I get it, I really do. But anybody who's been around tapestry and for very long and knows us knows that that's just, that's just not what I'm about. And it's not what we're about. But if you wrestle with this topic and if you hate the greed that raises up in you when it comes to the topic of money, if you find yourself sometimes really moved by something and you go to give and as you give, you're like, oh, maybe I won't give as much. Maybe I'll give a little bit, not as much as I originally thought because once it came time to part with it, something grabbed a hold of you as if you couldn't separate. I think the place to start it isn't an amount of money or a percentage of money. I, I, I think the place to start is, is this big question. If being a means to an end is what gives life meaning, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? What do you want people to celebrate about you when you're gone? What difference do you want to have made in your little amount of time? And listen, if you don't answer those questions in your life, your appetites will devour your resources. It'll devour them. But when you answer the big question, your money will follow the answer. Because money is a means to an end. It's not the goal. And understanding this will change the way that you view not only your money, but the world around you. But listen, listen. Uh, a really interesting thing happens at the very end of this passage. And this is great. Look at what it says, verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And do you know what their names were? Neither do I. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this this topic on money and finances and resources, Lord, Lord, this might be one of the primary things that holds us back to being the people that you want us to be. Lord, this may be the singular issue that holds us back from being able to be effective in the way that you make available to us, to the people and the world around us. And Lord, for some of us, we have so mismanaged our resources that at this point in life, even if we wanted to help and do good things, we can't. So Father, I I pray for everybody in this room. First of all, I pray that you help us to wrestle with the question of what do we want? our resources to be a means to. What do we want people to remember us for? What difference do we want to have made? Lord, help us to clarify this idea so that then you can begin to move us through proper use of our resources, through prioritizing others over ourselves, to being the effective followers of you that you've created us to be. Lord, for some of us, our financial situation may seem fairly hopeless. But in you, there is hope. And it's never too late to turn and head the other direction. Lord, I thank you that, that you spoke to us on these things, that you give us direction on these things, no matter how comfortable, uncomfortable they may make us. But you continually call us back to the direction we should go. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being out. Please come back next week as we continue on talking about money matters.